The more successful you are, the bigger your problems are going to be. I was more broke at two million than I was at one million. Welcome to Kermali Exchange, and today we have Brian Smith, founder of UGG, is in the building, on the show, we're so excited. He was using influencers before there was even any influencers. Brian, thank you so much hey, for joining us today. Faisal, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited because the journey that you've gone through is more than just the transaction within business. It's the behind the scenes, the feelings, the experiences that you had, the book that you've written, and now your next journey that you're on, I think is fabulous. Excellent. So let's start at the very beginning. Okay. How did you start with UG? Well, I was an accountant in Australia. Uh, it took me 10 years to graduate. And I quit the day I graduated because I really didn't like accounting. And I was meditating one day and uh, I heard this voice inside that just said, well, hey, all the big trends are coming out of California. And I thought, maybe I'll go to California and find the next big thing and bring it back to Australia. So you know, I rented a little house in Santa Monica and I went surfing. I brought my surfboard with me because I dreamed of surfing Malibu. Because Since a little kid, I've seen it in surf magazines. And so I spent you know, two or three months there surfing Malibu and, and no big thing, but I met a lot of people. And it, it was uh, October and the wind had got chilly and the water was really cool. And I remember pulling on my sheepskin boots after surfing and I just got this massive dose of goosebumps. And I went, oh my God, there are no sheepskin boots in America and one in two Australians wore some sort of sheepskin footwear. So it was like, that's the message. And so me and my buddy decided we we're gonna go into business and we called up a manufacturer in Western Australia and, and ordered six pairs of UGG boots. And that was the start of UGG. Holy, six pairs to start with. When you look at how the brand has formed and changed over the years, you started off as a niche area with surfing and the surfing community and you expanded, that takes a lot of intestinal fortitude to step out of A long time too, yeah. Yeah, so walk yeah. us through, how did you decide to actually expand beyond that niche market that you were in? Well, we didn't ever really want to start in that niche. <laughs> yeah, my buddy Doug was the salesman. He went to every shoe store in Southern California and came back after you know three weeks and said, not a single order. And they go, Brian, they tell us we're crazy trying to sell sheepskin in California. And on a logical level, that made sense. But Australia's climate is identical to California and everyone in Australia wears boots, right? Mm. And I thought, how come all my friends up at Malibu think this is a great idea? And it struck me, oh my God, many of them be to Australia on their surf trips and they bought half a dozen pairs of boots back for their buddies. So within the surfing community, it was really well known. Okay. So we said, okay, well, let's go after the surf shops, right? I walked in with you know, these little samples and, uh, and the owner of the store said, oh my God, Ugg boots, they're fantastic. What are you doing with those? I said, well, thinking of importing them into America. Oh my God, you're gonna make a fortune. Mm. These are the best things in the world. So I got pretty pumped up and went to the next shop and it was, oh, Ugg boots, they're, I've got a pair. They're the best things in the world. You're gonna make a fortune. And so this happened all the way down the coast. And Doug and I thought we were gonna be instant millionaires, <laughs> you know? It didn't occur to us, we never asked for any orders. But <laughs> 
but uh, you know it was enough of a sign that this is going to be big. So we uh, ended up raising about twenty thousand in capital, just as a fluke. You know, okay. before I knew anything about raising money and uh, how hard it is, mm -hmm. this just fell in our laps. And we ordered uh, 500 pairs of boots. And so when they arrived, we went back to all these surf shops, the same ones, and I walked in with inventory and I ordered a pad and said, okay, how many do you want? And they go, oh, Brian, well done. But we couldn't sell them in our surf shop. We just sell surfboards and trunks and flip-flops and way too expensive. You'll do great in the shoe stores, you know? And this happened all the way down. And so the, the result was that the first year's, first season sales of UGG was 28 pairs. Wow. Yeah, horribly disappointing. Wow. <laughs> but it's so common for entrepreneurs to go through that almost identical process. And I ended up writing a book. Do you mind if I show it? Absolutely. Yeah, okay, it's called The Birth of a Brand. And the theme of the book is that you can't give birth to adults because after you know, 20, 30 years of building businesses, and I built quite a, quite a number of them, uh, they all go through this. Buying six pairs of samples was the birth of UGG. And then the business just lies there. You know, an infant can't get up and go to college. It has to be an infant. That's when, unfortunately, most entrepreneurs give up because yeah. they, they might have had the greatest idea. They tried to push it and it seems to go nowhere. But it just goes into this infancy and you just got to keep you know, it'll start toddling. And that's when, you know, magazines are writing articles about you and your first friends are all telling their friends and it starts to get momentum that way. And that quickly goes into youth and becomes a uh, mature business. What a great analogy to use of like, you're not giving birth to an adult. Yeah. I think when you take the literal sense, when you talk to parents of young children, yep. they will explain to you how they, they lose sleep, they can't get things done. They're trying to juggle everything. It's not always working. But entrepreneurs and business owners don't talk about the parenting issues that they have. That's right. Yeah. Walk us through some of the parenting issues you had when you gave birth to this new idea, this brand that just started. Okay, I'll, I'll lead you through the infancy, which was three years, right? We'd sold 28 pairs by Christmas. And so I ended up January, February, March. I was going to swap meets and street fairs and any, anywhere I could just to get an audience. And most successful area was this little parking spot at Malibu Beach. Okay. And I had a white Dodge van and I would go surfing at six in the morning. At nine o'clock, I'd have coffee and everything. I'd open up the doors and I was available for business. And the word of mouth started getting, hey, what are those, Ugg boots? Where do you get them? Oh, there's a guy up at Malibu, right? Yeah. And so I had this retail thing going. We ended up selling about 6,000 pairs for that, that season, <laughs> uh, $6,000 $6, worth. Sorry. Okay. So I got a summer job and the next season I thought, okay, I'm going to advertise. And I got these two models, a guy and a girl, and posed them on the beach at Wind and Sea in La Jolla and perfect hair and clothes yeah. and, and boots and everything. That fall we did $10,000. That's crazy. It should have been way more than this. Mm. And so got another summer job. And then the following season, I thought, okay, I'm going to get better looking models and a more expensive photographer, you know, and pose them on the beach again at Wind and Sea. And, and the sales that year went to 20,000. It was still horrible. I couldn't mm. figure it out. I really analyzed all the elements of UGG. You know, it's expensive product. Americans don't understand sheepskin. Uh, but I knew that everybody who wore a pair would rave about it to their friends. So it wasn't the product that was bad, it was just me. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna go out of business. I'm gonna just sell off the inventory and, and get out of the business. And then comes uh, October 
and the first storm always hits the coast in October and every California thinks it's winter all of a sudden. Yeah. And I got home and there were like 25 messages on my answering machine and it was like every surf shot going, oh, Brian, Brian, we need to come and pick up some Uggs. The store's been full of people asking for Uggs today. Wow. And this was like from 20 different messages on the machine and I realised, oh man, I can't even go out of business properly, you know. And so all the inventory I had left over I gave to all these surf shops and um, this year I, I said, oh well, should I advertise again or, you know. And I was having a beer with one of my retail customers. I was telling him about this dilemma about advertising and he says, oh shut up Brian and he calls out the back to all these little kids who leave the surfboards in the store and they, they sweep out the store and everything. He says, what do you guys think of Uggs? And every one of them, there's like six of them just went, oh those Uggs man, they're so fake. Have you seen those ads, those models, they can't surf? Yeah. Instantly I, I was like embarrassed because I thought back how fake my ads were. And I was just trying to match, you know, the, all the magazines, you know. Yeah. And so you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to think laterally all the time. And so I thought, okay, I called up a buddy who was running a Scholastic Surf Association up in Orange County. I said, Pete, you got any young kids who are going to go pro soon? Because I, you know, I can't afford to pay them, but I can give them mug boots. And he gave me two guys, Mike Parsons and Ted Robinson. And it, instead of posing them on the beach, we just went surfing to Black's Beach in La Jolla and Trestles in San Onofre. When these are mile-long walks, and every reader of the magazines is, knows how great the surf is there. And so I just took my little camera and just shot photos walking to and from the beach. And when I selected one of them coming back from, from Trestles, and ran that in the ma in Surfer magazine, and the sales went to two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Why? Because I was able to relate to that. every little kid in America who surfs would die to be walking along that road with Mike Parsons. And it took four years for me to to discover yeah. what advertising and marketing is really about. Yeah. And that, you know, because your brand is not your logo right and your brand is not your trademark registration right and your brand isn't your product right your brand is what do consumers think of you what do your own buyers your customers yeah. think of you what do other people who see them think of you and i crossed that barrier by getting genuine and creating an image that every little kid could believe in and would just die to be in that photograph you're in the surf industry, you're kind of working your way there, then you spread your, your wings out a little bit further. Yeah. How did you actually get into other markets beyond that magazine and, yeah. and the surfing community? So I eventually got into the skiing and snowboarding avenues and mm -hmm. I did the same thing. I got young riders yep. and I sponsored them. It's much like today's influencer marketing. Absolutely. 45 years ago, yep. right? So it's an identical thing. And then I had a big problem with the Midwest and the East Coast and Canada especially because they don't surf. A lot of them don't ski or snowboard because it's pretty flat. And so I was working with one of my sales reps in Chicago and I was in the sporting goods store and I said, well, what do all the kids do here in the, in the winter? And he said, oh, they play hockey. And I started to do some research. And I went, oh my God, the hockey market's 10 times bigger than the surf market, you know? And so that led me into getting product into the sporting goods stores on the East Coast. And then the moms, 
would have to buy the kids the boots and they go, oh, my daughter would like these. So she bought them for them. And then she has to sit in the rink for, you know, an hour with the kids skating. And yep. God, I'm going to get some for myself. So it just really took off. Yeah. And that was when the product became a sort of national. There's two things in Canada that hockey parents purchase. One, Tim Hortons donuts. <laughs> Number two, is Ugg boots. Right? Those <laughs> are the two things that hockey so parents funny. purchase. Coming in from the airport last <laughs> night, I said, oh God, Tim Hortons, I forgot all about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> there was a point in time where sales were so low that you had to live off of credit cards, Yes, which is a struggle I think many entrepreneurs and business owners go through. I think any real entrepreneur has paid their payroll on credit cards. Absolutely. And, and so was it a point in time where you thought, I'm pricing too low, I'm pricing too high. How did you adjust or actually get the proper pricing for the product because today that product is a premium product. It's not yeah. your basic product out there. Well, for the first 10 years, I didn't. You know, they were expensive at retail and, and I had to sort of keep my margins real low just so I didn't have you know, shock in the retail end. So my margins were in you know, around the 20, 25%. Okay. And it, I was an accountant I knew almost nothing about finance. <laughs> Had I known more about percentages and margins and all of that, I would have just raised the price and done a slower growth. But I was paranoid about our competitors coming in and undercutting me. And so I really had to work on the razor's edge yeah. for, for nearly 10 years. And after that, I started to be able to you know, get some different pricing going. Yeah. But any entrepreneur who's building a product-based business has to learn this. The more successful you are, the bigger your problems are gonna be. I had the mindset, okay, we did a million dollars last year, I'm broke. What's the answer? Sell two million next year. Yeah. But in selling two million next year, the problems of getting that much more product and overhead and shipping and everything, I was more broke at two million than I was at one million, right? And I didn't understand, you know, I kept thinking, well, I'll do four million, you know, but had I had a finance brain or had I had a, a group like EO or, you know, some group that, that had a financial arm to it could show me, hey, here's your projections, you're going to need $10 million yeah. if you keep growing like this. That would have been a big game changer for me then, but EO didn't exist then, yeah. YPO didn't exist then. Yeah. You know, I had no one to turn to. There was a point in time where you sold a piece of the business to investors. Yes, there was a point where I sold over 51%. That was a disaster. Okay. When I took that investment, I was ecstatic that we were gonna expand. This is the last yeah. funding we're ever gonna need. Yeah. Quickly, because we were so successful. With investors comes different agendas with, and then they bring in their friend who used to run a something like it. Yeah. And, and you know, those sorts of elements come in with the money. Yeah. And you have to, if you want the money, you have to deal with that. Yeah. It was like I wasn't calling the shots anymore. Yeah. And that is a very, very big lesson. I caution entrepreneurs to be very serious about whether they're gonna give up that 51%. So Brian, one of the things that we wanna do on the Carmali Exchange is build that business community where we can support each other and, and take it to the next level that we all as individual business owners wanna do. It's critical to have, um, you know, you call it community, but, but just a half a dozen good friends. They may not even be business people. Okay. People who can see where you're at and, you know, sympathize and distract you, and, you know, play golf. Uh, it's really important to be able to get your mind out of the trenches every now and again. Because if you just focus on, on your problems all the time, 
it's very hard to find a solution most times, but yeah. when you can get away from it and get a different angle from people who really don't give a damn what you're doing, yeah. uh, it puts you more back in perspective. There are times when you get so low as an entrepreneur, there's never anyone to talk to. Mm -hmm. You think you're the only person in the world ever had this problem, mm -hmm. and you, you close down. And I was able to draw strength from this inner spirit that I, that I just have. I, I started yoga and meditation, you know, back in my late 20s. Yeah. So every time I got really, really low, I would call on that and it would just get me up to the next level and then bam, something good had happened and we're off again until the next disaster. So Brian, I want, I want to take some time to understand the genesis of the book and what are some key points that you want to make sure that people understand in you writing this book. Okay, after I sold UG, I went through a period of not knowing what to do, which is really common with entrepreneurs who sell their businesses. In fact, I'm making a new career about having a talk for those types of people, right? Yeah. So the book is written chronologically from the, yeah. the conception to the sale of the business. But it turned out to be a really great roadmap for entrepreneurs and that's what's led me to the stage and uh, had me on a you know, pretty good speaking career since yeah. then. And I think everybody who wants to explore the journey of an entrepreneur, this should definitely be on their reading list, uh, absolutely. Yeah. The thing that I want to help people with now is especially those entrepreneurs who've made it they, in their minds, they've, they've sold their company or they've got everything going, and they're thinking, is that all there is? You know, when I sold UG, it was like that 20 years, and that's all it was. Yeah. I've spent the last, you know, 15 years since UG really focusing on my spirituality and what really matters in life. And it's just the business isn't it. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the business is, it's not where it's at, you know. I really am setting up now to have a whole new career aimed at those entrepreneurs who are a little bit lost and who wants some direction and, and especially I'm going to take him within. Oh, I'm looking forward right. to seeing all and that. that that's where the true peace and happiness comes from being okay with who you are inside and that's, that's what I want to focus on from now on. Brian, I want to thank you so much for taking your time out and joining us today. Good, my pleasure. Thank, thank you so much thank for having you. me. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for more from the Kermali Exchange and leave a comment to join the conversation. See you next time.